Listen. Let's stand together as we continue with the ministry of God's Word. Turn with me to John's Gospel in the 15th chapter. We are in the final third of John's Gospel. John 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus is speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean, but because of the word which I have spoken to you, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered, and they gather them, and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you are able, or if you abide in me, my, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Thus far, the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we are assembled before you in worship. We rejoice that as we gather, you meet with us as you've promised you would. Fathers, we come now to be under the preached word according to your appointment. We ask that you would bless that which men deem foolish, that you would exalt Christ in our midst. He who is presented here is the true vine. Lord, bless us to behold Christ and understand our relationship to him if we are in him. And Lord, may you sound the warning of the gospel for those who are apart from Christ, and that by your spirit you would compel them and lead them and bring them to yourself through your son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. He is risen, we declare. The response is, he is risen indeed. This is so very true, but what difference does this truth make? Is it just uh, something we do one Sunday out of the year? Or perhaps we're mindful that each Lord's Day we gather because of the resurrection that took place on the first day of the week. But what change has taken place because Jesus is risen again. What change has taken place in the world? What, places, what change has taken place in your life, those of you that believe? The answer is that many things have changed for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, for those with faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, because everything is better. But there are still many things that are challenging. We might be pressed and, and, uh, to say, you know, to answer the question, what's better? Most of you would answer in ways along this line, well, my sins are forgiven. My guilt is gone. Once I was dead, but now I'm alive in Jesus Christ. I'm no longer destined for hell when eternity swallows me up. But indeed, now I'm God's child and my everlasting home is in heaven. Amen. 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 Those are all very true. All of you would say that this is the result of God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have 
everlasting life. Everlasting life. Do we not long to live forever? We were made to live forever, and it's sin that has brought death into the world and even to our very purpose, our very being. Religions of the world promise many things, but they cannot deliver. And there is no other religion but the true religion that promises so much and actually is telling the truth. That's because Christianity is not a religion of man. It's a religion of God. As we heard earlier, God has spoken. God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself in his very names. He communicates who he is, what his character is like. And he has revealed himself upon the pages of Scripture as he reveals his plan of salvation. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. That's what we deserve. We deserve death at the hand of an infinitely holy God, the one true and living God. And yet God has provided a redeemer, Jesus Christ. He, he arose from the grave, and thus he's proving that he is who he said he was, that the promises, the declarations concerning him are yes and amen. The, the resurrection is like a, a stamp, a seal of certainty that he is the Son of God. And he says to all of you, come to me for life and his promises, and I won't cast you out. What a glorious Redeemer we have, saved from wrath, saved from hell, saved to life and to live life. But then what? So we have life. We're heaven down. But how do we answer that question? Well, the question is answered in this passage that we read just a few moments ago. The theme we could say uh, that cries out is that Jesus redeemed us so that we will bear fruit to the glory of God. Jesus has redeemed us who were once dead, so that now we are alive in him, so that we would bear fruit to the glory of God. Once we were dead in sin, but now we are alive in Jesus, alive to live lives bearing fruit for the glory of God, because living things produce, living things bear fruit. We use five headings. Um, Our time on each will diminish as we move towards the end. In other words, we'll spend more on the first point than on the last point. We begin with Jesus is the true vine. Then we'll look at fruitful in Jesus, fruitless apart from Jesus, praying in Jesus' name. Once again, we're going to be encouraged by Jesus to pray. And then finally, we'll conclude with all to the Father's glory. So we begin with Jesus is the true vine. Jesus announced in verse 31 of the previous chapter, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. And then he says, Arise, let us go from here. Jesus is announcing that that which the Father has given him to do, to come into the world to save sinners, which means going to a cross, to bear the sins of others, he says, I'm going to do it. Why? So that the world may know that I love the Father. He's obedient to the Father. And remember, it's in this context that we've heard Jesus say, if you love me, keep my precepts, keep my commandments, live by my principles whatsoever I have commanded you. John then reports that Jesus' teaching, uh, he reports and records the teaching of Jesus on the vine and the branches. Um, we're, as, as scholars, when we look at this passage, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is what happened next. But John, led by the Holy Spirit, thematically places this at this point. It is probably while they were wrapping up 
the Passover and then Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. There have been uh, cups of wine passed and there have been drinking wine as they remember God's goodness and Jesus institutes the new uh, meal of the covenant for his people. It would make sense that in that context that Jesus would talk about the vine and fruit and branches and production. It would tie in so much well with that. That which John reports then, the vine and branches, it sums up then what, teacher, uh, what it teaches, that believers also obey the Father. Remember verse 31, Jesus says that the world may know that I love the Father. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to do his commandment. And then if you look at what we've just read, Jesus is saying that believers, those who are new creatures in me, those who have been given life and raised from the dead, they also will live lives of obedience to the Father. Not to be saved, but because they are saved, because they are now alive. So Jesus told his disciples at several places that he, if we love him, we will keep his precepts, his principles. We first saw in John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then again in verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And then verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So Jesus is still teaching that all those he saves will live and love as he does. Who does Jesus love? He loves the Father. And we too, brought by Jesus, love the Father, God the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, by the enabling power of the person of the Holy Spirit. This is what makes it clear that believers... And Jesus are believers. We're different than the world. We, we look at the world, and the world runs after many things. The passions of the world are almost as diverse as the number of people upon the face of the earth. But it is only because of the work of Christ that we have a unity, not just those of us that belong to Jesus that are here, but indeed with, with multiple millions on the face of the earth right now who also love Christ, who have been redeemed by Christ, that we desire to love the Father. We delight in him, and we live for his glory. We no longer live as we once did. It's at this point that Jesus uses something like a parable. When he says, I'm the vine, the Father's the vine dresser, this is a word picture. Jesus is drawing up images that would have been very familiar uh, to those that sat at the table with him, and indeed those who would have heard this account. Uh, Israel was... um, shall we say, populated with vineyards. Uh, The people were dependent upon wine. It was one thing that they could drink with a confidence that it wouldn't make them sick, for the water was always of a questionable quality. So there have been vines and the growing of vines. Uh, Even if you were not involved in that, shall we say, uh, farming or plant husbandry, you would have been familiar with it. You would have seen it as you walked along. You would have observed uh, people caring for these things. You would have seen the growth cycle of the, the vines. You would have seen uh, the people in the, the autumn gathering in the grapes and treading them out for the making of wine. It have been very familiar. So Jesus takes this familiar scene and he's teaching the disciples. He teaches us. He speaks of the vine and the vine dresser. 
He says that in the parable, the, the vine represents him. I'm the true vine. He says, then, if you've got a vineyard, you need someone to dress the vineyard. You don't just let grapes grow wild. Uh, you will soon have a mess, and actually they become unproductive. You need the vine dresser to dress the vines because that is what results in the vines being more fruitful. The vine dresser job, vine dresser's job is to walk through the vineyard and prune branches from the vine, cut branches that are not fruitful at all to cut them off. Ones that are, they're trimmed back, they're, they're pruned, they're cut in particular places though, so that they would grow and be more productive. It's a little bit of an analogy to our lives. Sometimes we feel the pruning of the Lord as he is working in us to be more productive. So think about this scene. Jesus is focused on the vine and the branches. Now, a vineyard would have many vines. The, the vine is what's rooted in the ground. And the vine is what remains. Each year at the end of the harvest, the branches would be trimmed back. They weren't cut all the way back to the vine, but they'd be pruned back. And then in the spring, they would put out new growth. They would bear blossoms. They would be pollinated. And then grapes would start being produced. And this would be the cycle. So Jesus has this picture of a vineyard. And he's focused on a vine in particular. He focused on himself as the vine, the true vine, with branches growing out to the right and to the left on a trellis. The most important thing is the branches have no life in themselves. You don't see branches on a trellis, just suspended on a trellis, producing. If the branch is not connected to the vine, the branch dies. There's no life in the branch. The branch is dependent upon the vine for life. This is one of the most important principles in here. The branch gets water, minerals, nourishment that comes up from the soil through the vine to the branches. So Jesus says, I am the vine, the true vine, distinct and unique from all others. What Jesus is teaching here is that all who have been united to him by faith, believing the message of who he is that God sent into the world, looking to him for salvation, you're united to him. You have grace faith you have salvation you have life it's as though we were branches that were dead and grafted into the vine god makes us alive and now we have life from jesus and jesus sustains us everything that we need comes from him and we become productive then jesus says there's the vine dresser he says my father's the vine dresser we're going to talk about this more in just a little bit but the father is Supreme. Uh, we see this in other places. Jesus told the Jews a parable of a, uh, a man who bought a piece of property, put up a wall, he planted a vineyard, built a wine press, and he leased it out and he went off to a distant country. And then he would send his servants to come get what was his share as rent. And they beat him up and he sent his sons. And this uh, is a picture that Jesus often uses the Father's involvement, the picture of the one who is above all and over all. He is the vine dresser. He's caring for, he's cultivating the vineyard. And you see that the vine, the vine dressing, or the vine dresser has a purpose in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, that's the vine dresser, who he's told us is the Father, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, this uh, translation could be he cleanses, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. 
that it may bear more fruit. So here we have the picture of the vine dresser caring for the vines, particularly for the branches, pruning for health and growth and productivity and cutting off those that are dead. The Father is the one who does this. In verse 3 then, we find Jesus says, and I want to look at this before we go back to verse 2. He says, he's talking about the, the branch that bears fruit, he prunes, he cleanses. And you, you see the image. If you've got a branch that's got some things under there are beneficial, you cut them off. There's a cleansing aspect. It's a helpful, healthy thing to do. And so the word ties in. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I spoke to you. Now, this is significant that we understand the theology of what Jesus is teaching here. When he says clean, he's talking about justification. Remember when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet? And he came to Peter, and he says, oh, no, Lord. Let's just look at that. Back in chapter 13, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. This is verse 8. Jesus answered, if, you do, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. And then Simon Peter says, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And so he's shifting from the physical that he's washing their feet, and he has a spiritual principle. He's talking about how they are clean because of faith in him. They have a righteousness from above, even from Christ. And John records, for he knew, when he says not all of you, he says, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean, speaking of Judas. And so we heard Jesus again saying, you are already clean. These 11 men that are with Jesus in the upper room are not waiting for salvation. They're, they're not hanging on hoping that they can get something. God, through the Spirit, has already worked in them. They have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe the promise of God. Like Abraham, their father, God promised something. They believe God, and it was accounted to them as righteousness. It's called justification. They are right before God. It's a legal standing before God. It's as though they had not sinned because Jesus had carried away all their sin. You see, the Father gave the Son to secure our salvation. It's the Son's blood that washes away our sins. It's the Father who answers the Son's request to send the Holy Spirit to us. Jesus said, this was because of the word I have spoken to you, that you are clean. You see, Paul will record sometime later in Romans, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. These men heard the word, we could say, from the word. For he is the word who came down from heaven. That's how John's gospel opens. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. So as they're hearing the word, the message of gospel, the gospel message of salvation, the one who is that salvation proclaimed it to these men. The good news is we too can hear the gospel message. Though we were not there, that message of truth continues to be proclaimed through the preached word today, even as it is right now. So they heard the word, and the Spirit worked faith in them, and the eleven were justified by God's grace, freely given in Christ, and thus they were clean already. As Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now if we look back at verse 2, where it says, 
uh, the he, the Father, takes away every branch that bears fruit, and he prunes or cleanses that it, the, that it may bear more fruit. This cleansing, we, so the clean is the already in justification, but there's an ongoing act of God's, or God, ongoing work. Justification is once. God acts. Sanctification is God working in us and with us. We cooperating yielding ourselves, and actually being engaged in what God is doing to mature and grow us. It's a growth in holiness, and it's manifest by growing obedience. Now what we see in all of this, the Father as the vine dresser, he's preeminent. He's over it all. It's the Father who's doing it. He's, he's preeminent in all the events of our life. And thus Jesus calls him the vine dressing. Cleaning is going on. It is the work of the Father for our good, that we would become more like Jesus. And yes, Jesus and the Holy Spirit work with the Father, accomplishing his will in our lives. So there's something else in verse 2, and, and this is a sober truth. This is a truth we need to understand. We've seen these productive branches. They're being pruned, cleansed, cared for, cared for so they be more productive. But in verse 2, Jesus says something else. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit takes away there are some branches in this vineyard that are not productive and the vine dresser cuts them off father preeminent in this he removes people from the church and ultimately from before his presence who produce no spiritual fruit what we have here is one of the principles of scripture the church we who assemble the visible church are a mixed multitude. That is to say, there are those here who have faith in Christ. They are looking to Christ. He's the author and the finisher of their salvation. And there will be those present that they do not know him. They know about him. They know his truths. They can say many things, but they don't know him. They do not have faith in Christ. These are the ones that the Father either calls to himself in time, which is why they should remain, but ultimately he will, be, he will cut them off. You see, being a member of the visible church will not take you to heaven. You must have union with Christ by faith in him to be redeemed. So before we go on, we're hearing all this about fruit, bearing fruit, or there was not bearing fruit. What is it to bear fruit? Well, in the context, fruit is keeping Jesus' precepts. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my precepts. You'll keep my commandments. You'll obey me. That is the fruit that demonstrates that we have life in Christ, that we are united to him. The scripture speaks of other types of fruit that are very much connected to this. You're familiar with Galatians 5 and the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. These will be in our lives. This is the fruit that will be in the life. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, it's also in Luke 6. Some of you will remember when Pastor Tony preached through Luke that in Luke 6, Jesus says, a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. He says, you will know them by their fruit. How do we know? How do we know about ourselves? How do we know that we are redeemed? There should be fruit. In our life, there should be a fruitfulness that testifies that we are in 
Christ, the branch, I mean the vine, and that he is sustaining us and we are bearing fruit to his glory. So what do we learn before we go on? Jesus is the true vine. That is to say he is the only vine who gives life. You will find life in no other but in the Lord Jesus Christ. And like branches in the vineyard, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the vine dresser grafts us in to the vine. Paul uses that image with another plant, the olive tree. We're like wild branches that the Father has grafted in to the original cultivated olive tree. So we are. We're grafted into Christ by faith. From Jesus, we get all that we need to live a fruitful life. And a fruitful life is lived in obedience to Jesus. Now notice, obedience is doesn't get you united to Christ. We're not saved by what we do. We are saved by what God has done in his son, and we believe that. By faith, we're saved in Christ. The church then, the vineyard, we find there are branches that are not really united to Christ, and so they produce no fruit. It's a simple application answer the question are you united are you united to christ by faith do you abide in the vine do you have life in the sun are you bearing fruit to the glory of god well let's then look at that particular principle fruitful in jesus verses four and five jesus says abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me And then he repeats it again. I am the vine. You are the branches. That's implied earlier. He's explicit. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. It's a marvelous truth. My friends, it's a marvelous truth. God seeks sinners. Paul makes it clear in Romans 3 that Quoting from the Old Testament, no man seeks after God. No one comes to the Father. Man's not looking for God. God goes looking for sinners. He pursues sinners. He draws and brings them to himself. God invades our hearts by the person of the Holy Spirit. God convicts. He converts. He makes alive. He gives faith to have salvation in his son. This is what Jesus secured on the cross as he paid the debt for our sin when he died in our place. In resurrection morning, Easter, as it often is called, proves that Jesus really accomplished what he said he would accomplish. It is the Father certifying that indeed this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Once the sinner is saved, that's God's responsibility, Jesus then comes and commands, abide in me. And indeed, verse 4, abide in me, it's the imperative, it's command, abide in me. Are you redeemed by Christ? Do you have new life in Christ? Jesus says, then abide in me. This is the believer's responsibility. The salvation that God has wrought, that's his responsibility. Once we are saved, we have a responsibility to abide in Christ. One commentator uses language like this. Once we're saved, we must exert ourselves. Not just to lay around. Hope that it happens. To abide in Christ requires activity. We're to exert ourselves to abide in Christ. The power that we need to exert ourselves comes from God as well. He says to abide in me, and he 
indeed provides what we need to abide in him. God also is the one who provides the ability to keep us. We persevere. In other words, we remain in the vine because of what God has done and what God is doing. So what is it to abide? I've been asked this question many times. I love this passage. I use it talking to people regularly. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, it's to be attached to the vine, but God's done that. So we're attached to the vine. Well, we remain attached by grace. That's God's too. But then we consider the branch gets everything it needs from the vine. So to abide in Christ is to look to Christ for everything that we need. Don't look anywhere else. Don't look to anyone else. Don't look to your own means and your own strength. Look to Christ. Use the means of grace. We must so live and walk by faith that we look to Christ for all. It's not self-reliance. It's full reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that look like? Well, we pray. Jesus has just been teaching on that. He's going to say more about that in just a few verses. We're to pray. We're to be in the Word. And the Word is to be in us. I would say to you that Psalm 1 is a picture of someone who abides in Christ. We don't look at the whole song, but just the very first part of it, Psalm 1. Here's a man who abides in Christ, and God commends him. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That's what the natural man does. That's what the man in the world does. He's comfortable in those environments with, with the ungodly, with the sinners, with the scornful. The godly man, the wise man, does not abide there. What does he do? No, his delight is in the law of the Lord. This man abides on the law. In his his law, he meditates day and night. To abide in Christ is to know the word of God, to meditate upon the word of God, to think about how it applies in different situations, pray for wisdom for applying that which God has revealed in his word to the lives that we live. So we see that what God commands, God provides. We're in the vine. Everything that we need is in the vine. We just need to look to Christ to obtain it. So let me ask the question, is God able to do this work? He's able to save us. He's able to do this work to keep us, that we should abide, that we should grow, that we should be fruitful. Is God able to do this? Does he have the power to do that? We're celebrating today. Many call Easter Sunday a celebration that believers keep actually every Sunday of the year. Yes, Christ was crucified, dead and buried about 2,000 years ago. But the tomb is empty. You can search the earth, and indeed men have done so, and you will not find Christ's body anywhere. Because on that third morning, just as he said he would, he arose from the grave. It was not possible that the death or grave should hold him because he was more than a man. He was fully man, but he was fully God. And he came forth victorious and triumphant, securing salvation as he said that he would. The power of God kept the promise that God had made so that Christ lives. So when you ever wonder, you know, can God really do this is he really able hallelujah yes and amen christ arose in the power of the resurrection is at work in every believer we are able to live for the glory of god it's one of the blessings as we come together on the lord's day isn't it we remember christ arose no matter how bad your week was no matter how many times you stumbled and fell god's promises are still yes and amen 
And there's power in the Lord Jesus Christ. William Hendrickson, one of my favorite commentators from the previous generation, he wrote, uh, he says, It is certainly true that once a man is truly saved, he remains saved forever. Yet God does not keep a man on the way of salvation without exertion, diligence, or watchfulness on the man's part. You see, there's the man's part. Exertion, watchfulness, diligence. And the strength thus to preserve in faith is ever from God and from him alone. You remember the quote from Augustine? Augustine said, Lord, command what you will, but provide what you can. Well, God already has. He has provided what we need. So no man has ever been saved, though, and then just coasted on into heaven. There's exertion. There's activity. The work of growing in holiness. Sanctification is the word for that. Is God working in us, we cooperating with the Holy Spirit to grow in holiness. Verse 4 again says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So if we were to be fruitful, well, we need to be redeemed. But then we need to abide in Christ. We need to use the means of grace that we would bear fruit to the glory of God. We don't have the ability to do it apart from Jesus. But indeed, if we abide in him, then as branches, we will be fruitful. We'll bear fruit to the glory of God. And it is foolish to think any other way. In verse 5, then, Jesus repeats what he said in verse 1. And what I, when I said it's what was implied is more explicit. I am the vine, you are the branches. That was implied before. Now it's clearly to say, declared. And he who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. So it goes back to, abide in me, and I in you, for the branch cannot bear fruit. Then he says, he who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Children, a couple of weeks ago, I, I spoke to you about absolutes, like always and never. Those are very... Absolute broad words. We need to be careful when we use them. Well, here's another one. Nothing. That's an absolute word. That's just nothing. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You have no power in and of yourself to do any good thing. If we abide in Christ, then we can produce abundant fruit. Paul celebrates this. In Philippians 4.13, many of you will have memorized this verse. What does he celebrate? I don't know if he's thinking about this teaching of Jesus, but it certainly ties to this. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Sounds like what Jesus is saying here. I can do all things. That's the promise of God. That's the confidence of the believer. Christ is risen. Christ has given us salvation. Christ is at work in us. We are abiding in the vine that we should bear fruit. And indeed, we can do all things because Christ strengthens us. What we find here, a clear application, is Jesus' teaching here is the death blow for all religious systems that celebrate man's ability. We have no ability in and of ourselves. This teaching is very clear that it all comes from God. It all abides in Christ. And if we would have ability to live an obedient, godly life, then we must be in Christ. We must be born again, and then we must abide in him. For it all is ultimately a work of God. Well, thirdly, we learn that fruitlessness is the result of being apart from Christ. Fruitfulness, fruitlessness 
apart from Christ. Verse 6, Jesus goes on, if anyone does not abide in me. So he's been talking about abiding in him. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. This is a sober statement. This is a serious statement. What Jesus says here that we must not miss. Jesus makes it very clear that if we do not, if we're not branches in Christ, then we're fruitless because we're apart from Christ. As he just said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The vineyard will be kept clean in good order. And so a branch that is not in the vine is withered. And withered branches are dead, and they are good for nothing. Withered branches are gathered and thrown into the fire, and branches then are burned up in the fire. This is a picture of the person who refuses to come to the Lord Jesus Christ for life. The one who will not abide in him is dead. This person then, the teaching is, will be punished, ultimately condemned. That's a day that is coming. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the opportunity to look to Christ. Now is an occasion to have this life in Christ, to be grafted into the vine. Now is the opportunity, but there's a day coming when all those withered branches, they will be gathered up. We saw this all the way back in John 3.18. We referred to this. People love John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But in John 3.18, Jesus says that they will perish because they have not believed in the name of the Son of God. And Jesus is that name. The person may linger on flesh, but he has no life in the spirit. Dried up, withered, late autumn trees without fruit, Christ dead, pulled up by the roots. Jude 12. Got a picture of that? We have one who's just in the scene, Judas. Think about that. For three years, like the others, Judas was called up, Jesus says, follow me. For three years, he's walked with Jesus. He's been with Jesus. And he looks like the others. They've never suspected him. They didn't know that he was stealing money out of the money box. He kept He was a treasure. But Judas was a withered branch. And when it came down to it that Jesus wasn't the kind of savior he wanted, he turned away and he betrayed him to the authorities as God had ordained. Judas was with Jesus, but he didn't abide in Jesus. These withered persons, the scripture says, will soon be gathered at the time of the harvest. This is from Jesus' parable in Matthew 13. At the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, bind them in bundles, and throw them in the fire. These withered, gathered, bundled persons are thrown into the fires. What a contrast to those who are fruitful. This is what happens to those who are cast into the fire. Going on in Matthew 13, in that parable, Jesus says, The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. That's disobedience. And he will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the Son in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what do we see here? Jesus says these fruitless persons will be gathered and burned. This is the final and eternal reward for those who reject Jesus. 
the free offer of salvation. Jesus offers salvation freely to all and to any. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. It's a free offer. But to those who do not come, they will go away to everlasting punishment. The lake of fire, the scripture speaks of, an unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It is a place prepared for the devil and his angels, the beast, the false prophet, a place of torment, day and night without end. My dear friends, you do not want to end your life cast into the fire. And it is a certainty that that is what awaits you apart from Christ. Whoever you are, whatever your intentions, whatever you think or hope you have, if you do not have Jesus, or more importantly, if Jesus does not have you, that's what's in the afterlife. And I know that you know there is an afterlife because God has written it on your heart when he made you. And he tells me so in his word. Do not leave this world. Do not breathe your last breath without Christ. A lake of fire, unimaginable torment. There's nothing that can be compared to it on the face of the earth. I can remember about the time I was converted. I had a great uncle that died, and we were cleaning out his house. And it was my job to stand by this 55-gallon drum, and whatever was to be burned was brought to me by other family members, and I fed the fire in the barrel. I'd heard sermons like we're hearing right now. And I'm standing by a barrel of just paper and stuff burning, and it was so hot. I'd have to wait for it to die down so I could throw more fuel on the fire. And I remember thinking of the sermons about hell and fire, and I thought, and this is nothing. It was terrifying, and it should be terrifying. None of us should desire to perish apart from Christ. Not just so we can escape hell. That's a motivation. But because God in Christ Jesus has so graciously offered salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, and you will never know the wrath of God. You will never see the fires of hell. They will never singe nor burn you. Rather, you will enter into a place of blessing. Perhaps you're hoping in some religion invented by man, passed down through the years. What I declare to you comes from the very mouth of God who created all things. He said, Believe on my son be saved. That's his promise. Fourthly, we want to consider praying in Jesus' name. In verse 7, Jesus revisits something he's talked about. He adds, he says, if you abide in me, that's what he's talking about. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done to you. In the previous chapter, we heard Jesus preaching or teaching on prayer. Now, this is Actually, all through this passage, the, the yous that you read are the y'alls, the, the plural ones. So Jesus says, y'all abide in my words, and my words abide in y'all. Then you can ask. Jesus is saying to the believers, have confidence when you pray. Those who are in him can have confidence that when they ask the Father, they will be heard, and when they will be answered. As James writes, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Notice, it's not you who will do it, but it shall be done for y'all. John 14, Jesus was teaching on this. On prayer, he says, ask and I will do it. In John 16, the next chapter, he says to pray and ask and 
He will give it. That's the Father. A person who abides in Jesus is then full of the Word, and therefore the Word informs our prayers. We'll be talking more about prayer, but just understand that. If you're abiding in Christ, and He says, My words abide in you, then your prayers are going to be informed by Scripture. You're going to be praying consistently with the will of God, and then we always say, Not my will, but thine be done, O Lord. The Word governs our prayers. Well, finally, it's all to the glory of God. This was our theme that we begin with, but you see it right here. Verse 8, by this, abiding in the vine, being fruitful from the vine, being fruitful branches, being cleansed and clean and praying, by all this, my Father is glorified that you will bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. You want to know what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus? You abide in him and you bear fruit and you're engaged in prayer. So shall you be my disciples. But what's Jesus say here? By this my Father is glorified. What did he say back in chapter 14, verse 31? The the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Jesus has been all through his life about the will of the Father. That he would glorify the Father. Whatever he sees the Father doing, he does it. What he hears the Father saying, he says it. His whole life has been lived to bring glory to the Father. And my friends, do not miss this. This is glorious. He says, abide in me, and you also will bear fruit to the glory of my Father. It's not just something Jesus does. We, in Jesus, with his Spirit in us, we also bear fruit to the glory of the Father. That's to be our purpose. That's to be our goal. Abiding in Jesus has God-glorifying results. Effective prayers, spiritual fruit, a life marked out with obedience to Jesus. In verse 11, he will add fullness of joy. So we see the theme of the text. Jesus redeems us so that we bear fruit for the Father's glory. A saved just to stay out of hell. That's a byproduct. That's a result. But we are saved. We're given life to live life, to live a fruitful life, to live an abundant life to the glory of God the Father. That's what Jesus is teaching. So, when our lives, like branches, are attached to the vine, we'll be laden with spiritual fruit. And Jesus' Father and our Father will be glorified. And this is as it should be. Why? Why the Father? The Father appointed us for salvation in Jesus before the world began. The Father appointed His Son to be the Redeemer of sins. The Father so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to save sinners. The Father raised the Son from the grave. He is risen. The Father seated the Son on His throne as the God-man. The Father gave the nations of men to Jesus, and even now He is reigning over the whole of the earth. It is the Father who adopts us in Jesus so that we become the children of God. The Father sends the Holy Spirit through the Son into the lives of His people to equip us and enable us to do good works, to bear fruit to the glory of the Father. Indeed, all praise be to the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Father, What a glorious day. It's once again on the first day of the week we remember that Christ has risen. And because he has risen, we have life in him. Father, we marvel that once we were dead, but now that we are alive. And Father, we pray that you will work in us. That we will be exerting ourselves 
to abide in Christ, that we'll be engaged in this good work that you are doing so that we'll bear fruit to your glory. Lord, give us patience when you prune us, knowing that it is good and necessary, and that whatever you cut off is not necessary. Indeed, that you would have us be healthy, whole, and sound to bear uh, fruit for your glory. Be exalted, O Father, through your Son, by the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing 517. I found a friend, O such a friend.